while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio program. We talk news with Reasonable Voices. And our Reasonable Voice today is Katie Caverly, who is the owner and managing director of ICOR, that's I-K-O-R, of Charlottesville, and has a versatile background working in care management, human resources, and product development for large corporations, including Chevron and LexisNexis. Ms. Caverly holds an MBA and is a certified senior advisor, CSA. She and her Charlottesville staff passionately advocate on behalf of clients' medical, financial, emotional, and environmental needs via services that include comprehensive life assessments, powers of attorney, and guardianships. With i Katie Caverly created another reason to love living in Charlottesville. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. I know we've spoken before, exchanged a lot of emails, but I wanted to talk to you on the Reasonable Voices because this reaches beyond Charlottesville, Virginia, and the Commonwealth of Virginia, and certainly needs to reach our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and the government that pretends to govern there. So, (laughs) okay, before we get ourselves in trouble, tell us... When and why did you choose to transition your focus from, well, corporatism, shall we say, to community sure. service? Yeah, um, it's funny, when I tell this story, I always describe it as my year of living gratefully. Um, as you said at the outset, I spent a long time working for very large corporations and enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I don't harbor any ill will there. I learned a lot about process and compliance and working across complex teams, but I suddenly I reached my late 40s and just didn't enjoy it anymore, and I could not figure out why. Mm. I told my husband that it had to be a lack of gratitude on my part, right? So here I was with this nice salary and this nice benefits package, and, and I had the audacity to feel unfulfilled by it. It almost seemed um, self-indulgent, so I would drive to work every day with this mantra of, 
I love what I do. I am lucky. I, I should be grateful uh, for my work. And I did that for a long time, probably almost a year. And I came home one day and I looked at my husband and I said, I don't think the problem is a lack of gratitude. I still don't like what I do. Mm. And I really tried to develop some curiosity about my own internal thoughts and my motivations, what, what was sort of driving this dissatisfaction. And I concluded it was a bit of a midlife crisis, I guess. I wanted to do work that felt more meaningful. And, and at the end of the day, I really wanted to do work that would leave this town that I really come to love, perhaps just a little bit better off. And so I worked with a business broker uh, to look at some opportunities, and I had given her two criteria. I said, one, I want a thinking person's business. Mm. Um, and then two, I want a business that will make a, a bit of difference. And when she showed me i it was a pretty quick decision at that point. Wow, yes. You know, we should all hit such a midlife crisis. What a world it would be if we all did. Exactly. One of my favorite guests has come on and said, if we only could, we say life is short, but nobody acts as though it is. And he says, if you act as though life is short, you would passionately pursue a life of excellence. And I think yeah. that's what you and Icor are not only doing as a company, but you're doing it for your clients as well to help them have as excellent a life of well-being as possible. I think that's a fair assessment. What do you think? I agree. I mean, really what we're trying to do is create the best condition of existence that is possible for our clients. You know, the, the thing that I quickly picked up on in, in operating i is that well-being isn't accidental or random. You know, some people don't simply look into it while others look out of it. Mm. It is uh, the confluence of a lot of factors financial, medical, physiological, socioeconomical, you name it, genetic. And, and we try to help people build a plan so that their well-being, which we think of as a good condition of existence, their, their well-being is achieved. Mm. And, and we also try to alleviate some of the anxiety that incurs when you're trying to manage health, care, financial, and all sorts of other life affairs that invariably become complicated uh, by aging or a serious health condition, a disability, what have you, some life-altering event, you know, managing affairs can become stressful. And, mm -hmm. and so we try, to, we try to take that burden on for our clients. Now, I know uh, your clients are uh, primarily senior citizens, I believe. You were, we are talking about, I mean, I mentioned that you are a certified senior advisor, uh, but you, you specialize in elderly well-being, senior citizens, including Alzheimer's, dementia seniors, but, but not uh, excluded to that. It's the health care and well-being of any senior citizen. So I guess my question is, how old does one have to be to be a client of, uh, of yours? Our youngest client is three. And our oldest client is 94. So you are right that the preponderance of our clients are seniors, but really we provide services to anybody with a serious health condition, individuals with a disability, even somebody who's just got a temporary or acute, temporary but acute illness, we can, we can swoop in and advocate for them. So there is no age requirement to, to accept services from us. Okay. 
I got that impression, but I thought I'd ask to be sure. Uh, you know, most of us, I, I, I think, especially as I, you know, watched the video that uh, you do for ICOR and and followed up on other research. I think much of what you do, the general public hasn't thought about as a health issue, or thought about as a, a future possibility. Do you find that? Your clients are surprised when you bring up certain points to be considered, the things they haven't thought about, and, and how do you resolve that? I do. I think the idea of professional care management for a lot of people is still somewhat conceptual. Hmm. It takes a fair amount of narrative to explain what we do, but really it boils down to planning. You know, I said earlier that the aging process can make managing certain affairs more complicated, more stressful. All we're suggesting is that you should plan for the aging process across all sorts of different factors, medically, legally, financially, your, the family dynamics, right? Is there going to be a family caregiver? Are you going to outsource that? It's really this notion of understanding that we are living longer and that means a lot of things. We're interacting more with the U.S. healthcare system. We need our money to last longer. Uh, we should prepare for our cognition to not be what it is today. Mm. Uh, you know, it may diminish, and, and who is going to intervene when and if it does? And so what we try to do is just walk people through the process of living to 80 or 90 and some of the plans that have to be put in place to make sure that they are safe and independent and happy and connected to other humans. And again, it's getting back to this, have a plan so that your condition of existence is, is, is as positive as it can be. You know, that makes me think of your the title of your presentation in Charlottesville. You are asking people to age with awareness. And you give a, right. a presentation, Aging with Awareness. Tell us a bit about that. It's really a collection of observations that my team and I have observed as, as to what are the human behaviors that promote well-being, what are the human behaviors that frustrate it. Mm. And so we walk people through a set of observations, statistics, and then recommendations to achieve well-being. We do not talk about sleep, nutrition, exercise, not because they aren't important. They are critical to well-being. And, and I think as we go on, science is increasing their understanding of just how critical those facets are. We don't touch on them, again, not because they aren't important, but because they're so frequently espoused. Mm -hmm. What we try to do is touch on some of the factors that people aren't thinking about, and that might be things related to their home environment, their money, their emotional health, connectivity, uh, whether or not they need to forgive somebody in their life, how to prepare for a doctor's visit. I mean, we, we kind of walk them through what we see as professional care managers contributing to whether or not you're able to achieve well-being. Mm. How, how does it an elderly person frustrate their well-being? Well, for example, one thing we see a fair amount of is the, the housing in which they live. 
people's goal to age in place, to age in the home. And it is certainly our goal to facilitate that outcome. Mm. But what we'll see are people in a three-story house out in Nelson County on 15 acres of land and the labor involved in that, the, the, uh, the money involved in keeping a house like that, those things start to frustrate the goal of aging in place. You know, I share this statistic a lot. Since World War II, the average size of the U.S. home has nearly doubled in square footage. Oh, yes. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, Americans have been having fewer children, and those children are more geographically dispersed. On average, in the United States, an adult child lives about a five-hour drive away from their parents. That is certainly true in the case of my parents, um, and, and including my siblings who are even farther away from my parents than I live. And so if you, if you look at all those statistics, what is happening is we are growing old in the largest homes with the least amount of family support. Mm. And so when we talk to clients who are understandably and rightfully determined to age in place, we then have to have an artful conversation with them where it says, we agree. We want you to age in place, too, for all manner of reasons. What we've got to look at is whether or not this environment is going to allow you to do so. Mm. And, and that's an example, just one example where, you know, we can see this sort of blind determination to stay home that really is not sufficiently associated with whether or not their home environment is constructive. And, and so that's, that's one example of what we see. So I guess it makes me think of two things. Number one, you're not just counseling the senior citizen, but you're really counseling the family to think. That's exactly right. Yep. But, but also it makes me wonder, do you ever find yourself caught between grown adult kids who've been saying all, for years now, Mom, you got to move out of the house, and what do you do when there's resistance on, from that? Yeah. It, no, and it's a great question. I mean, one of the things we explain when there is the client and then family involvement, and we like that. We far prefer that there be family involvement. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I will make very clear, using your example uh, to the adult children, is, look, mom is our client. Mm -hmm. You are the customer. You're important. We collaborate with you. But everything we do is going to be in your mother's best interest not yours. Um, and sometimes what we see are the adult children who are anxious about an aging parent and want to move them to assisted living less because that's what the parent needs and more because it just alleviates their anxiety, right? They live remotely. They love their parent, but they're just not sure uh, about whether or not mom is safe at home. And so what we will do is we will come in as a neutral third party and, and we'll say, look, let us assess the situation. And we'll have a one of our registered nurses enter the home. They'll take a high-level medical history. They'll do a cognition assessment. They'll look at gait and balance. They'll look at the medications the senior is taking. Are there contraindications? Are there too many? And then we'll look around the home. We are nicely nosy when we enter a home. We're going to look at the expiration dates of food in your refrigerator. We're going to take a lap around the car and look for dings and scratches. And then we're going to do it again the next time we come. Mm. Um, are there tripping hazards? Is there sufficient light in the home? 
And then we'll look at other factors. Are they are they keeping up with mail? Are they paying their bills on time? Mm. There are all these things that we assess. And what we explain to the family is, look, we have no skin in this game other than your mother's well-being, mm-hmm. right? We're, whatever dysfunction uh, has been, you know, natural part of this family, we're not a part of. We're not in the will. We're, you know, there's, there's no... There's no means here for us other than to ensure your mother's well-being. And, and so if we perform this assessment and then we come back to the adult children and say, look, we disagree. Your mother does not need assisted living. Mm-hmm. What she does need, however, is this, this, and that. I have yet uh, to have adult children who have disagreed with that, vehemently, in other words, who have rejected that recommendation. I think when they see the level of detail and analysis that goes into our recommendation, most of them find that persuasive. And so, again, what we're trying to do is is make intellectual decisions and recommendations, not emotional ones. Yes. Uh, and, and I think if people, if they see the truth of that, it sort of, it, it answers their own their own doubts, if that makes sense. It, it does, and it's all very pragmatic. Yep. And, uh, yep. and I didn't have someone like you, ICOR, or the Alzheimer's Association in my life when I was going through transitioning into a caregiver for my parents. So I know yeah. of what you speak, and it is extremely important. Uh, we're talking with Katie Caverly, who is the owner and managing director of ICOR of Charlottesville. We're going to take a short break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. There's more to come. Taking care of an Alzheimer's patient is a pretty much a full-time Fifty percent of caregivers die uh, while they are caring for awareness someone. about Alzheimer's and research. Just because someone's mind is being diminished does not mean that uh, the ordinary physical things don't happen. They can uh, have a sore throat and not be able to tell you. And they can have something in their eye and not be able to explain it. So you have to be aware that in every respect, life is still going on for them physically, even though you are focused on the, uh, the mental dementia, the, the person is still living a life physically and emotionally. For all those who see this video, I hope you will learn more than I ever did before you ever have to know it. That's my message. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 800-272-3900. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio program. My guest today, Reasonable Voice, Katie Caverly, who is the owner and managing director of i of Charlottesville. And we've been having quite a conversation about aging with awareness I guess my next question I want to ask, aging in the 21st century is very different from it was in mid-20th century, but certainly different from what it, how people aged and, and how sickness and death occurred for most human beings, say, 100 years ago. Can you give us a comparison just to make us understand why we must age with awareness and we must plan? That's, that's exactly right. So I'm really glad you brought this up because if you look at how we died, let's say in 1900, you know, 
death was relatively quick. And by that, I mean, you would go along your day healthy. Uh, there'd be the onset of some illness, typically an infectious disease, pneumonia, tuberculosis, common flu. So there'd be this onset of illness. Your death was typically on average five to seven days later. Uh, you died at home, and you died surrounded by your loved ones. Today, first of all, we're living much longer. You know, in 1900, uh, you lived on average to about 48. Today, you live on average to about 78. But that death trajectory is much longer and spread out. In other words, you will spend more time today managing one, two, three, maybe five chronic illnesses than you would have in the 1900s. So you're interacting with the U.S. healthcare system a lot more. And then when you think about our U.S. healthcare system, you know, it it is very siloed. It is siloed by healthcare professional and malady. Now, in some ways, I think this is good. You see a cardiologist, all she does is cardiology, and Mm. and she's good at it. Mm -hmm. But it means you also see a primary care physician and a a, a host of other physicians who specialize in something. And so you've got all this data you're trying to manage. You've got all these decisions you you have to make. And yet, in many ways, the dying process is a lot more hidden. Mm. It's more undisclosed, I think, for our generation, because today, most of us are not going to die at home. We're going to die in a hospital or an assisted living facility. And so we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it sounds like. Mm. And it's, it is troubling for us, I think, when we begin to pursue a cure for mortality which, of course, is, is impossible. And, and so what I'd encourage people to think about is, again, this notion of a plan. You want to control your destiny. That means you're going to want to think a little bit about how you want to live and how you want to die. Yes. What are the interventions you do and don't want? Where do you want to die? Who do you want making decisions for you if you cannot? And that is, for whatever reason, really uncomfortable for our society today. Mm-hmm. And again, I think part of it is because dying is so undisclosed to us. It's so far away. I was with a client. I was uh, I was the guardian and conservator for an incapacitated adult for a very short period of time. This was a, an emergency order. And she was actively dying. And I got the call from the community that she was at saying, hey, um, she's, in, she's in rapid decline here. And so I hopped in my car and and drove over there. And as I was walking down the hallway, I could hear what I knew was breathing, but it was breathing unlike anything I had ever heard before. Mm. And it was was a rattle. And I walked into her room and I thought immediately, oh my gosh, this is the death rattle that that you hear about. I mean, I've heard that term. It it almost sounded like a, you know, that Charles Dickens novel where where they talk about this Mm. death rattle. Mm -hmm. And there it was. And it was the first time I'd ever heard it, but I understood that what I was witnessing was important on a a lot of levels that we've got to kind of reacquaint ourselves with with what is a natural process, with what we're all going to um, experience at some point or yes. another. And, and I guess that would be 
my wish for society is that we were a little more open and and relaxed around this topic. Americans have that pioneer spirit. You know, we, we are problem solvers, and that's fantastic. But it's yes. also created this culture that we can kind of uh, – we can kind of beat death, and uh, and I think in in many ways that's led to uh, to a culture around death and dying that doesn't always serve us well. Yes, it well, it's there. There are, and I agree with you. Americans really still have that pioneer spirit and are experimenting and investigating and researching and for all new things. But I do think there are just certain subjects like death, like Alzheimer's that we don't talk about enough. Um, So it's a great point. It seems to me, though, hopping in a car and running over when when you get a call that says uh, someone is actually now in the throes of of dying, it goes beyond any typical care management I've ever heard of is is (laughs) how, I mean, and I'm not trying to be facetious or funny, but still, I mean, what do you do that's... uh, uh, and to give you my POV, it's, uh, for 12 years, I have worked with doctors and nurses and hospitals and, and family and caregivers to extend my parents' lives and their mental capacity as long as possible. So I, I know about the death rattle, and I got the call ultimately from a nurse that said, uh, you know, I think we should uh, take your mother off of uh, Lipitor. And mm-hmm. I and I I remember it was just she said it very nice she was a warm person and I said to her what you're trying to say to me is my mother is not going to die from cholesterol and she said right. yes and that was her incredibly empathetic gentle way of telling me it was it was time so yeah. I just what do we you you have something you you call a, a life map. Uh, that uh, helps your clients uh, adapt to what i is all about. And it's very individually oriented, even though, as you said earlier, you certainly include the family, adult children. And, but tell me more, what is a life map? Yeah, it's a set of observations and recommendations. So I described earlier how we will go in and assess a situation. And when we assess, these are detailed comprehensive, and, and you use the word, really intimate assessment of, of what's going on. What is this person's status? What's yes. their level of well-being today? And where do we think they can get to? If they're at A, where is B? And then the life map becomes the, the plan by which we close the distance between those two points. Hmm. So that might be something as simple as let's move their master bedroom downstairs. Let's retrofit their bathtub into a walk-in shower. Let's remove the daughter as power of attorney uh, because we think (laughs) that she's a bad actor and reassign somebody else. Mm -hmm. Let's talk to their physician about a de-prescription program. Right, which is really what your nurse was doing with your mother's Lipitor, right? Yes. That there, this polypharmacy at, at some point is, is probably doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. So we'll 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 get involved there. Uh, let's have their driving assessed, right? The the daughter is convinced that mom shouldn't be driving anymore. Nobody really knows for sure. Let's take them over to the UVA driving lab and have it formally assessed. Let's get a clear data driven answer to this. Mm. So that that life map 
is really just, look, here's what we're observing. We've analyzed all the data we've collected, and this is what we think ought to happen now. Mm-hmm. And we can either execute those recommendations, the family can execute them themselves, it can be a, a combination of all sorts of things, but that's really what we're trying to do is we'll look at their medical situation, financial their environmental situation, and their emotional, their psychosocial health, and we'll develop a set of recommendations. Excellent. One of the first things that I did when I realized I needed to step in to be the parent to my parents, I checked the medications because I knew they were on medications, but I didn't really know what all of them were for. But I not only checked them myself, but I called the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, my God, he's taking this and that? And I said, yes. They are the same thing, and he shouldn't be taking both. Well, you know, that's when I knew, okay, there's got to be somebody who is day-to-day, you know, making the kinds of adjustments and changes that I-Corps does to you. Because my feeling is if somebody like you guys were in my life or in my parents' life, I would have felt like things were very fulfilling. Give us some of those moments where you realize you are really reaching that person and that person is is more fulfilled because of it. How do you, uh, you and the people who work with you at I-Corps, yeah. how do you assess that you know? What, what is that moment when you realize that what you do helps another human being have a, a more fulfilling life, a more fulfilling death, a more fulfilling, yeah. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. Yeah, no, it can be a number of things. You know, on a medical front, one of my registered nurses was working with a client of ours, and she was reconciling all the prescriptions this woman was taking and knew that this woman had a problem. There was a contraindication. So she was taking cancer medication. This woman had had breast cancer, a history of breast cancer. She was also taking an anti-anxiety pill. Mm. And my nurse knew that that was a problem and called the physician and said, hey, this person is on drug A and drug B. And sure enough, the doctor said, my goodness, those are contraindicated. We, you know, you got to stop. We have another client who has terrible edema uh, in his lower legs. And my nurse pounded on the door and got this guy uh, in, enrolled in the emphedema clinic, clinic at, at Martha Jeff uh-huh. um, and really advocated that, hey, this is, this is an issue. Um, and, you know, we started getting the lymphedema wraps and whatnot. We have another client where we intervened. She had, woman had assigned her daughter as power of attorney, and it was an inappropriate choice. And I won't I won't say a lot more than there, but Mm -hmm. um, exploitation. And so revoking, uh, working with the attorney to revoke that that power, that agency, and and reassigning it to us. Getting involved in court-appointed guardianships and conservatorships for Mm -hmm. incapacitated adults. I mean, really, people who have no one to care for them or advocate for them, were we not there? And sometimes it's just a matter of, encouraging somebody to look at their situation and reconnect a bit more socially. So, for example, the Senior Center here in town, which is phenomenal. Yes, yes. I can't encourage uh, folks enough, please donate to the Senior Center. But just 
getting them getting them involved there. Look, just go once, check it out, see who's there. Because I think when you hear the word senior center, you have this vision of really elderly folks in wheelchairs and walkers just sort of sitting in hallways. And and that's not the senior center. It's this mm-hmm. vibrant hub of activity and all sorts of learning opportunities and curriculums and travel you can get involved in. And so it's just suggesting to somebody, go to an open house, yes. check it out, and and finding themselves re-engaged a little bit. And, and then sometimes I think the value we bring is really just a reduction in, in anxiety. I've got a handful of clients who are what I sort of consider elder orphans, never been married, no children. They're hmm. not socially isolated. They have They have vibrant social lives. But when it came time to prepare their estate plan, which they did with an attorney, you know, the attorney was eventually going to ask, well, who's going to make medical decisions for you if you cannot? Who's going to make financial decisions for you if you cannot? Mm-hmm. And when they don't have a clear answer, right, when, when their answer is, my goodness, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, that produces stress. That's, that, that's an anxious thought. Um, and yet they can, they can assign I-Corps as their attorney, in fact, and just having that safety net under them, it reduces anxiety. And that alone... I think um, is, a, is a value we can bring. So they, they can be small things. It can be big things. Our nurses will show up at the hospital at 3 a.m. Our nurse recently showed up at a uh, rehab community who is about to discharge one of our clients with virtually no notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she swooped in and demanded a care of plan meeting and got all the parties together and was able to slow down that discharge so that the family could plan I mean, those are the things we do. I always use the, the analogy, we're a lot like a surrogate daughter or son, but uh, imagine that your daughter is a certified senior advisor, a registered nurse, uh, a willing and able fiduciary. Those are the things we bring that, again, most people don't realize they can outsource, but in fact, they can. Mm. Um, and anyway, that, that's our measure. I'd love the question, but um, you know, our, our measurements of success are both small and, and really fundamental, yes. uh, really large. You, you also, it seems to me, coordinate with other organizational service organizations on behalf of your, your clients. How can you share any of those that you work with? I know you mentioned Senior Center. What's your outreach of organizations, that, that web that you can also introduce the uh, uh, I-Corps clients to? Yep, it, and it's broad. And sometimes I describe I-Corps as the quarterback of a, of a football team, and we work with a lot of special teams. So we both receive referrals and make referrals to a wide swath of people. Estate attorneys are probably the big one, and so too financial planners and wealth advisors. But the adult protective services, law enforcement, we get physicians. I I had a urologist call me uh, not too long ago. It had a long-term client was noticing problems. We will get the communities themselves, the assisted living communities. Let's say somebody's in assisted living, but the community does not help them with bill pay. Mm. They'll call us. We get home care companies, and we work with a lot, you know, locally, Home Instead, Visiting Angels, Commonwise Care Group, a lot of them, where their bailiwick is helping with activities of daily living. 
So that's the bathing, the dressing, the transferring, the cooking, the cleaning. And often those caregivers will see affairs that need to be managed that are beyond what they do. And they'll call I-Corps. Vice versa. Uh, We'll get engaged with a client. Again, let's take that example of the daughter who thinks that mom needs to move to assisted living. We come in, perform our assessment and say, no, we we actually disagree. We don't think mom needs assisted living. We do, however, think she needs four to six hours of, of caregiver help each day in her home to clean and, and do some laundry. Well, then mm-hmm. we'll engage uh, with the home care companies to, to set up those services. Yes. So there is a lot of give and take. Look, I always say as comprehensive as i is, we cannot and do not do it all. I am neither an attorney nor a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Our clients need those professionals. You would not hire i to go in and help with activities of daily living. It's, and so a lot of it is knowing who to turn to in Charlottesville to, again, create this team, this really solid wall of defense for a vulnerable senior. I work with real estate agents to sell homes. I work with auctioneers and appraisers to sell gun collections. I've worked with storage centers in town. You know, when people are downsizing, you name it, we generally speaking interact with them. Okay, we we do have to go soon, uh, Katie, but I wonder if you could share with us how seniors and their family members, uh, you know, uh, as well, uh, their spouses, to be able to contact, connect with you, uh, find out more about i and what you, your services, you know, website, telephone number, whatever you care to share. Sure, I appreciate that. So our phone is 434-202-8887. Again, 202-8887. And our website is icoreglobal.com forward slash Charlottesville. That's a lot to remember. I think the best thing you want to do is just Google Icor, I-K-O-R. You'll either come to the corporate website or my specific page. But 202-8887, and then just Google Icor, I-K-O-R, and you'll find us. Fantastic. We have been listening today to the reasonable voice of Katie Caverly the owner and managing director of ICOR, I-K-O-R, of Charlottesville. It has been a distinct pleasure, Katie, to speak with you again and incredibly helpful information for all of us who like life and want to prepare for all, uh, p- prepare for it right up to the end. How's that? That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. It was a pleasure, Marcello. I can't thank you enough for having me. My pleasure. Take care now and all the best. You too. Bye-bye. Now. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty define Him. 
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. February, month of heart health, black history, and Valentine's Day. Ever love someone so much you hold them so closely you feel yourself melding into them? If not, then it's time to embrace the whole truth. Why cardiovascular disease is America's leading cause of death? How half-truths rot the whole? And discovering the cure and recapturing a Valentine's joie de vivre for two. Sometimes silently sharing a sun-warmed bench and coffee is as crystallizing as a warm fire and wine conversation. However, time waits for neither man nor woman, because connection, like time, is more finite than infinite. Because in the heat of foreign battle, local road rage and executive treason, death and destruction are indiscriminate, and timing remains divine. Courage is seeking loving communion in the face of a new winter's dawn, while tenacity is continually tilting mind, body, and spirit ever closer to the bright sunshine of civil discourse, before our most hope-filled rays of daylight hours release us with a nip, slipping us into a less chaotic future of refreshing renewal possibilities, saturated with hearts beating in unison, in an as yet barely imagined breath longing to nibble at our ear, begging only this one plea, even if it's too soon to hear and too late to listen, attend. For the greatest criminal delusions of February, one, twenty-eight days can emancipate our Obamacare story, Two, believing hidden history texts left to pale faces masquerading as Cupid while massacring a nation's global loving. Three, once a year flowers can sweeten a box of chocolates life filled with heartless touching neglect. Myopic TV news media, too often casting us as background to their noise, must first make all fall for puppeteers peddling disruptive distractions before staining our discerning gray matter with heartbreak. Ultimately, however, after flatlining on a Trump-Pence administration, all but rendering us brain-dead, we are the only defibrillator paddles that can restart America's Good Samaritan heartbeat. However... Although a willing ally, time cannot always remain on our side if we willingly side with the ignorance of denial, bigotry, and hate over faith in civility, unifying hope, and love thy neighbor as thyself. With tax breaks for the wealthiest, putting Mulvaney's boot on the necks of Americans struggling from paycheck to paycheck, there is no time to stand between shrinking tax returns and shutdown encore without each other. Before a braggadocious Goliath shell pitching at fever pitch, ice-cold hearted orders ordering unnatural emergencies, filling neighborhoods, borders, and penal rooms with racial venom, full security, and an absence of parental hugs and kisses. When cabinet heads, attorneys, and executives can't tell the difference between blackmail and threats, payoffs and campaign contributions, or catch and kill from caught on camera, then maybe we the people should be knocking on the outhouse of whites' only supremacy, asking why are billionaires happiest during POTUS executive time? When in our heart we know we've done the very best we can, letting go is not defeat, but the realization that talking alone is too expensive. To reach more who will listen, we must listen more, for not even reason is a match for those who choose to be unreasonable. 
while Einstein was probably intellectually skewed toward nature enough to reason as go the bee's knees, so too will those with aspirin between their knees depart, still in denial of how much they aided and abetted the arrogance, greed, and stupidity that diminishes love and life. Is it too late to save love of life by blocking potentially fractured pipelines of fracked gas and heeding the increasing repetitive speed connecting mounting floods with mudslides and sinkholes? Even in the shortest month, overflowing with rediscovered overdue exchanges of loving unions of every kind, we have been given enough time to grasp we need more than medical, historic, and loving-like denial to reach America's promised land dream. Remembering adrenaline is most positive and best enjoyed when shared, true love makes every day Valentine's Day. While there is time, embrace in heartfelt compassion and passionately pursue a life of self-evident truths, loving our neighbor's history as much as we love the one we hold in our arms at the end of the day, even if only in our memories. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.